we've been struggling with sleep at our house. <laughs> our uh, four-month-old son has been making it difficult. And it's now, the kind of frustrating thing is that he was sleeping so well a few months ago, sleeping from 10 until 6 in the morning, right through. And we thought we had a great one. We thought, this is going to be so easy. But in the last few months, or last few weeks, actually, he's been getting worse and worse. So there were some nights where he was up at 12, and we were up with him at 12, and 2, and 3, and 4, and 5. And then when he went to sleep at 6, then I was so awake that I couldn't go back to sleep, and I just laid there fuming, (laughs) frustrated. You know, one night of this would be okay, but night after night, week after week, and I started to wear down a bit. And I have this, I can still, I mean, just it's in my mind, of me standing at the foot of our bed, talking with Tracy, telling her how upset I am. I don't even remember what I said. I mean, the, the higher functions of my brain were off. It was purely brainstem. It was fight or flight, and at that moment it was fight. I was telling her how upset I was, just how frustrated. Why wouldn't you go to sleep? And, and I was thinking about just, or reflecting on how angry I was about it. Angry at my four-month-old child <laughs> for crying. Angry at my wife for her not wanting to get up when it's my turn actually to get up. <laughs> Angry at God because I've been praying. Every night, I pray this. Every night, Lord God, please help our children sleep well. And I just blew up. I don't even remember what I said, but I blew up. And then, God is good. I started working on this sermon. Listening to God, to Jesus say, you know, you have heard it said, do not kill, do not murder. But I, I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother or with your wife or with your son or with God. God has been at work in me. Jesus has come not to abolish the law and the prophets. He has come not to undermine the law, or to water it down, or to shave off the really hard parts. He's come to fulfill it, to fill it full, to its fullest measure, to intensify it and deepen it. Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not murder. For those who murder are liable to judgment. Now, so far we're thinking, this is great. Jesus, you sound just like a good rabbi of the day, saying just what they would have said. But then Jesus says this. He says, but I, I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother or your sister. And immediately we know we are in different territory. We're in a strange new place because Jesus is saying more than the law. Jesus is revealing who he is here. See, no rabbi, no self-respecting person would have dare said, the law says such and such, but I say. We realize in this moment that it is Jesus speaking and that he is revealing who he is. He is God. We wouldn't dare add or subtract a thing, and yet here is Jesus saying, but I, I say to you, Do not even be angry. Jesus is revealing who he is. He's not some great teacher in the desert. He's not some guru, some spiritual teacher. He is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, that he would dare say, I, I say to you, do not even be angry. Immediately we see who Jesus is. Jesus fulfills the law, though. He continues on saying, if you are even angry 
with a brother or a sister, you are liable to judgment. He says this, and if you say raka, which is an Aramaic word for you fool, if you say even you fool, you will be liable for judgment at the Sanhedrin, like the high court of their day. And if you say moron, you idiot, you will be liable to Gehenna of fire, to the fire of hell, God's eternal judgment. Whoa. Really? This is a powerful word. This is a strong word. Are you serious, Jesus? Even anger. You're this upset even about anger. It's surprising for us. Jesus has come to fulfill the law. You see, in Israel, when God gave the law, he gave the bare minimum. In this sense, he gave them this law, do not kill. And as I look at you, I don't know of any of you who've killed anyone, so good job. You're doing great. But God's desire is not that we would just stop there. God desires that we would not hate, that we would not resent, that we would not nurse grudges, that we would not harbor anger for people. Jesus is getting at the heart. He's saying, don't murder. But more than that, he's saying, don't have murder in your heart. Don't be this angry with people. He's saying, rather, have a forgiving heart. A heart that forgives many, many offenses. Have a heart that is gracious because God has been gracious to you. Because God has shown you grace. Despite all the things that you've done against God, He shows you grace. So be gracious with others. Christ desires that we would have a heart that is patient, that, is suff- that endures numerous suffering, long suffering, again and again. When Peter came to Jesus and he said, how much should we forgive someone? Jesus said, 70 times 7. Those are the, those are the numbers of completeness in, Jewish, in the Jewish world. So he's saying, just keep doing it again and again, to completion. completion. Keep forgiving. Christ desires that we would have a forgiving heart. See, Christ is after the heart here. He's not after another rule. He's not saying, just try and keep the law here and don't be angry. Keep tabs on yourself. Oh, I was angry three times today. I need to go do something to fix that. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, Seek God for a different heart, a heart that has been changed, a heart that desires to be different, to be forgiving and patient and gracious. Jesus came to deepen the law, to intensify it, to fill it full. He's not after a minimum requirement anymore. He's after a new heart, a heart that is different. See, a heart that goes around spewing out anger and insults and resentment, it's like a heart that it spits acid. It spits acid on people and burns. You may not kill the body, but it chips away at a person's soul, at their heart. It's like acid. It corrodes them. It corrodes their heart. Jesus said, every person nursing a grudge is liable to judgment. The word that Jesus uses here, the Greek word is orgizo. 
And he uses it in such a way, the grammar is this ongoing anger, to give this sense of ongoing anger. Those who remain angry, who insist on staying angry, are liable to judgment. Now this image of people kind of keeping their anger like coals, they gather them up and they fan them to keep them hot. So at the right moment, they can burst into flame and burn people. Jesus is saying, don't do this. Don't keep your coals together and fan them to keep them hot. Put them out. Throw water over them. See, he's addressing the choices that we make. The choice that we make to remain irritable. The choice that we make to remain constantly angry. I want to be careful here because most of the time, anger comes out of hurt. And I know people who are hurt badly and they're angry about it. But we do have choices. We have God's grace in us. We have His Spirit in us helping us to choose something different. Choosing to be gracious and merciful and patient. Now is Jesus saying, don't have outbursts? I believe He is. But the thing is, we all have outbursts. Well, I don't know about but at least I do. I've told you about already in the middle of the night. We have these outbursts. We're angry and we're frustrated. I believe that God, I believe that Jesus is talking about this, but He also is more concerned with how do we respond. How do we respond? That's what He's getting at. Will we respond with grace? Will we respond by choosing to forgive as hard as it may be time and time again to be forgiving? To reconcile? To make things right? See, in Ephesians, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he said, don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't give Satan this foothold. Because he will use your anger to separate you, to drive wedges between you, between people, between you and your family, between you and people in your church, between you and your neighbor. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Jesus is getting at the anger that lies under the surface here. If murder is this anger that happens outwardly, He's talking about the anger that happens below the surface. He's talking about unrepented anger. The anger that we refuse to apologize for. The anger that we feel justified in keeping. That's what he's talking about. This sort of anger separates us from God. It separates us from people. We have to keep forgiving. Keep giving it up. Jesus is also talking about unreconciled anger. The resentment that we hold between us and people. The resentment we choose to hold between us and people in our family, people in our church, even our neighbors, our co-workers. See, the thing is, regardless of our ministries, of all the things that we're doing for God, if we're still angry, it undermines all of that. If we are angry 
and caustic towards people. It undermines the things that we are doing for God's kingdom. It undermines our relationship with Him. See, the Pharisees, they didn't realize that they were like poster children of this. They were great legalists. They were great at following the law. Throughout the Gospels, we see, though, that despite how good they were at following the law, Jesus is still saying, your heart is not right. Your heart is still broken. He compared them to tombs, to whitewashed tombs. He said, you're white and clean and shiny on the outside, but on the inside, you're filled with bones and death and uncleanness. On the outside, everybody thinks you're doing great, but on the inside, it's filled with disease and death. Jesus is getting at the heart. He's getting at the heart. You see, we cannot silence Jesus' warning here. We can't round off the edges. He says, even anger makes you liable to judgment. Even outbursts, calling someone an idiot or a fool, is not God's design for us. This anger, this resentment, these insults, they're like acid that eat away at us and others. It tears us apart. It separates people. It drives wedges between them. And it corrodes our heart. It corrodes who we are. Jesus has deepened the law. He has intensified the law. He has filled the law full. He has made it deeper, but at the same time, He has given us a hand to help us out. He doesn't just lay this huge new command on us to not be angry and say, good luck with that. He's come to help us out as well. To help us out of the holes that we dig for ourselves. Jesus has not come to condemn, but to bring new life. Life in its fullest sense. And He's done more than just teach these principles. He's given us practical ways to live this out. Practical ways to reduce our anger, to be reconciled with people. He says, if your brother or sister have anything against you, anything at all, go and speak with them. Go and make things right. Go and be reconciled with them. Go talk with them. Make things right. An interesting thing here is he says your brother or sister. He's talking about the community of faith. In our day, he's talking about churches. If there is something wrong or something between you and a brother or sister in our church, go and be reconciled. Make things right. Apologize for your part. Be reconciled. But our brothers and sisters go beyond this church even. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that we still need to be gracious with, whether they come from a different denomination or a different part of the Christian faith, that we remain reconciled with them. We don't have to agree on everything, but Christ is saying we do need to be reconciled. We do need to be gracious and loving. To be honest and truthful, but gracious. Jesus says, drop what you're doing. If you're in the middle of a worship service, drop what you're doing and go be reconciled. He says, if you're in the middle of of an offering, 
Leave it right there and go be reconciled. If you're in the middle of singing a song and you realize that your brother or sister has something against you, stop what you're doing and go be reconciled. I, I was waiting to see if anybody got up. Apparently we haven't. We have, glad there's no conflicts in the church. That's great. It's important that we go immediately and be reconciled. Because our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with other people. If we are not reconciled with someone, if there's someone that we have anger, or there's some sort of conflict between unresolved, it affects our relationship to God. The two are connected. We cannot worship God well if we still have resentment towards somebody. If we are angry and harboring a grudge, it affects our worship of God. God connected the two. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the great commandment? What's the greatest? Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The two are connected. We can't separate them. We can't fool ourselves into thinking that we can be right with God and in a great relationship with Him and still have broken relationships. Still have torn up relationships. Relationships that we've spit acid all over. The two are connected. Even the mission of our church, we talk about this. We are people who have come to to love God and to love others and transform lives. It's on the front of of our bulletin every week. They are connected. Loving other people and loving God are connected. Jesus wants us to be reconciled with each other, to be reconciled with our neighbors, people even outside of the church. That's why he says if, you, if you're on your way to, to the court with your opponent, with your adversary, see, now he's talking beyond the church as well. He's saying be reconciled. Be reconciled quickly. Don't wait for it. Be reconciled immediately. Even if they aren't a part of of this community of faith, even if they come from other parts of the community, be reconciled. And do it quickly. How often that would short-circuit, that would snuff out these arguments, these conflicts that grow and fester, if we would just handle it immediately. If we would go and say, I apologize. I said what I shouldn't have. I don't mean it. Or I apologize for saying it. I wish I didn't mean it. That we would go and be reconciled immediately. How many times has it happened where someone says something and someone's offended and they go home and they stew about it. And they start gathering coals. And they start fanning them to keep them hot. So the next time they see that person, it can spring into flame if we would just go immediately and, and say and, and reconcile, talk about it, apologize for our part and pour water over the coals. How many things that have festered and, and split churches apart would be reconciled? Jesus gives us a steep new commandment. And at the same time, he helps us up. He gives us practical advice. Go and set things right with your brother or your sister. Go immediately and reconcile with your, with your adversary or your opponent. Make things right. This is hard to do, but it's not complicated. 
It's about humility. About humbly coming before someone that we have hurt or we have insulted, resented, and asking for forgiveness, apologizing. Because ultimately, Christ desires that we would be reconciled. He desires that we would be a people reconciled to each other. When these conflicts happen, when these things happen and they are left uncared for, when they are left unresolved, these scratches become open wounds. They become open sores with infection. We need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled in our families. Husbands, we need to be reconciled to our wives. Wives, you need to be reconciled with your husbands. When we, say, when we lose our temper, when we say something short, when we say something hurtful, we need to apologize. We need to be reconciled. To come to our wife and ask, how have I hurt you? To courageously and humbly ask, how have I hurt you? You see, as men, as heads of our house, if we're going to lead in this role, if we're going to be leaders of our homes, we need to lead in this aspect too. We need to come to our wives and ask, how have I hurt you? And then stand there and wait, listen to her, and then apologize. Don't try to justify or give excuses or defend. Just apologize. I know it sounds crazy, but this is the gospel. I know this sounds completely different than what our world teaches. But this is the good news. This will restore our relationships. We need to be a people reconciled. And we need to reconcile with our children. When we lose our temper with our child because they've done something again, we need to be reconciled with them. Whether our child is three years old or 30, we need to be reconciled with them. Tell them again that we love them. To apologize for the part where we've gone overboard. And again, as parents, it's our responsibility to initiate this. As parents, it's our responsibility, it's our role to begin this, to lead this in our children, to come to them and ask for their forgiveness and be reconciled with them. We need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled in our families. But we also need to be reconciled in our church as well. We need to be reconciled here. We need to, I need to disabuse us. We need to be disabused of the idea that we can worship God and harbor a grudge with someone in our church. That's not how it works. It affects us. We need to think differently. We need to be reminded that our relationship with God is caught up in our relationship with other people, especially people here in this church. Now I know that there are grudges. I know that there are conflicts in our church. One, because you're human. And all groups have these. Whether you're a church or a club, 
There are always differences. But I also know because I've heard you talk about them. I've heard you talk about grudges or about resentments you have. We need to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled with each other. Stop gathering the coals. Pour water over them. Put them out and be reconciled. Now, I'm not saying you need to become best friends. There's just some people that we won't be best friends with. That's fine. I'm not saying be buddies. But I am saying be gracious and be reconciled. If there is resentment, if there is anger, put it out. If you know that you have done something, come and apologize. Ask for forgiveness. A grudge is like a millstone around the neck. When we would come on Sundays and hope that our, and pray that our heart would, would lift up and be connected with God, a grudge is like a millstone around the neck. It keeps us from it. God still works in us. I believe God can work through the most amazing, the most unlikely situations, but it is harder for us to connect with God if we have grudges, if we have resentment for people, if we are angry and irritated. It is harder to connect with God. If we want our church to grow, if we want our church to be a missional church, to be reaching into our community, we need to be constantly reconciling with each other. The two are connected. A missional church, by its nature, is a reconciling church. Or said opposite, how can a church expect to reach its community if it's constantly fighting with itself? We must be reconciled with each other. We must keep working at this. Because the difficult news is that this is something that we have to keep working at. Again and again, coming to each other to be reconciled, to make things right. Because things are constantly happening. It's like a body walking through the bush. You're constantly getting cuts or scratches. It happens. We bump into each other. We accidentally say something that's misinterpreted, misunderstood. But we need to be reconciled so that that scratch doesn't become an open sore that festers. We need to be reconciled. If we want more and more people to come here and find this new life in Christ, then we must be reconciled. It begins here, reconciling with each other, making things right with each other. Jesus said, Love one another. The people would know you by your love. It's a sad commentary that many churches are known for being places of judgment and conflict and backbiting. I'm thankful for you. Because I, as I listen to our community, we are not known as a church like this. I mean, when we're honest with ourselves, we know that it happens here. We know that we still have work to do. We pray for God's Spirit to change us. But I am thankful for us. I'm thankful for this church. I pray that the Spirit would make us famous in this community as a place of grace and love, as a place where differences are reconciled well, where people are free to disagree on things, but they still love each other. They still are gracious with each other. I want us to be famous for this in our community. 
I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. We never will be. I'm not even saying, and I'm especially not saying, I don't want us to act perfect. I don't want us to try and put on a persona like we're perfect. But I am saying we need to be reconciled. Continually working to be in a right relationship with each other. Christ has called us to this. He desires us to be reconciled. To be reconciled in our families. To be reconciled in our church. God has deepened the law. Christ has filled the law full. But more than that, he has filled us with his grace. As you're listening to this today and you're starting to think of the implications for your life, if this sounds impossible to do on your own, you're right. If you try to do this on your own power, by your own willpower, you will fail. And you will feel guilty and you will be frustrated. But if you will follow Christ, He will give you a new heart. He will lead you into humility. If you will stand before Him face to face and let Him look in, without excuses, without justifying your anger or your resentment, it will drive us to confession. We would confess our sin before God. We would pray for God's forgiveness. That God's Spirit would be at work in us. We would be deluded of our self-righteousness. That we can do all these great things for God and still be angry with people. God would strip us of that illusion. If it's up to us, I'm not very hopeful. But because of grace... Because of God's Spirit in us, I am tremendously hopeful. I have great hope. God is at work. God's Spirit works in us. I am hopeful because Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, Blessed are those who follow the law really well, those who have it all figured out. Those who are perfect, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who realize that they depend on God. Those who realize that if they're going to live and follow Jesus, they're going to have to rely on Jesus. Blessed are they, because they belong to the kingdom of heaven. And as we hear this, we begin to realize that we are back in the beginning, the beginning of the sermon. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he begins where God begins, with grace. God begins by saying, blessed are those God begins with blessing. He leads with grace. All the commands of the Sermon on the Mount are begun with grace, with blessing first. We hear these words and they are hard, they are deep. And they drive us back to the beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because Christ, through His death, through His resurrection, through Pentecost and the the coming of the Spirit, we have God's Spirit in us. God's Spirit directs us now. God's Spirit in us, soothing the anger that we have, calming us down, making us patient. God's Spirit in us, convicting us when we say something hurtful, when we say something sharp or caustic. God's Spirit in us, convicting us of this, that we would go and apologize, that at least for as far as we were concerned, we were making things right. God's Spirit dwells in us, creating in us a new heart, 
A heart that is filled with joy and peace. A heart that is slow to anger and rich in love. This is the heart that Christ desires for you. This is the heart that Christ desires for us as a church. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, the reconcilers. They will be called sons and daughters of God. This is the heart God desires for us. A heart that reconciles. Amen.